morning. I'm so glad you're here today. We have an awesome service lined up for you, and I hope you really get involved and get engaged as we worship God. Um, let's stand up on your feet this morning. We're going to go to God in prayer. Is that all right? Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today, another day in your grace and your mercy, Father. We lift up this service to you. We lift up the, the word, the message, God, every element of today's service, Father. We ask that you would just bless it, Father God, Lord, that you would be the primary focus, Lord, and that people's lives will be changed. And not only changed, Lord, that they will leave out encouraged, uplifted, and ready to take on the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. If you're excited this morning, say amen. If you're excited this morning, lift up your hands. Give them a round of praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen.
Sing it, church. Jesus, I love you. Because you care. 
Hallelujah. Praise him this morning, church. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, the Bible says that in the same measure that you give, it will be given back to you. Um, God put on my heart this morning that somebody needs to be challenged. And the challenge is, I challenge you to try God as his word. We know that God is a God who cannot, his word is not, he's not a lie. His word can't return to him void. So God is challenging somebody, 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 that if you give your tithes for a year straight, watch what God does. Watch what he does in your life. And not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. Because like his word says, in the same measure that is given, it will be given back to you. Press down, yes. shake together, and running over. So I'm here this morning to tell somebody, give, give, give. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, we give only just 10%. You, that's all you ask for, 10%. And we give it back to you, back into your kingdom, Lord, to, to do what you will, God. We thank you that it's blessing this community, it's blessing the lives of people that come to this church, Lord. Um, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word does not lie. If you will, bring your tithes and your offering in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
receive communion together at this time and back in the center aisle towards the back of the church there is the communion stuff we could get someone to turn the light on and then then if you could make your way back there and get your own uh communion emblems that'd be great to find your way right on the table back there if everyone could just get your pick up your cups and your bread praise the lord there is none like No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. There is none like you, Jesus. Touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. I don't think it's going to stay there, Your mercy flows like a river wide and healing comes. From your hand, suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you, yes, Lord. There is none like you, Jesus. Can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. I could search for all eternity long and find. There is none like you. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in memory of me. And so we say, Jesus, I'll never forget what you did for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget for our salvation. And he promised to give us an abundant life. And just like his father, his word is true. It will not return to him void. Why? Because he is his father's son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just remain in an attitude of worship today. Girls, come help me.
Jesus. Oh, my Jesus, my Savior. Give God a big loud hand of praise this morning. Glory to you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're getting ready to bring the word this morning. Why don't you just put a big smile on your face and uh, stand to your feet. Find a few people around you and just shake their hands. Say, I'm glad to be here with you today. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Man, y'all came on a good Sunday. Every Sunday is a good Sunday to be with God's people, is it not? Come on. But this Sunday is extra special because Derek and Joseph and myself are all going to preach. We're going to real, really try hard to preach one sermon together rather than three sermons. So they've already been warned not to go too long. The problem is I'll probably go too long, but uh, you just have to love me anyway because I got you. And you're here, and uh, thank you, Jesus. But we wanted to kind of talk to you today about why church? Why does church really matter, and what is the importance of church? Because, um, you know, there's a couple things going on. One is the biblical definition of what church is and uh, what the Bible says about it's important and how it actually impacts your life. And then there's, of course, sort of a modern-day version of people's opinion of church and kind of where they placed it on the priority order. And uh, they've uh, placed it way down on the priority order to the point where a lot of Christians don't think church is important. And, uh, and when I say church, a lot of people, the first thing they think is showing up to a place on a Sunday morning. And let me tell you, that is not church. In fact, we use church the wrong way a lot. We use church as uh, something we're going to do. We're going to have church or a place we're going to go. We're going to go to church. The truth is that is not really what the Bible says the church is. The church is a group of people that you are in covenant together with, that you serve together, you're accountable to each other, you help each other, you encourage each other, and you have a common mission together with one another. Amen? And when you meet is not really that important. It could be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, morning, night, whenever, whatever is convenient for everybody. Where you meet is not important. I came to tell somebody that a building is not holy a building is a tool. The Bible says, don't you know that now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means God doesn't live in a building. He lives inside of his people who are the church. We're getting that, aren't we? 
We have to think differently about what church is and understand that when you become a Christian, when you are really born again, you are born into a family of believers. You are not born alone. Come on, there's a beautiful little baby back over there. And mama's got her, and uh, it would just be silly to think that baby is born, and then you just leave that baby alone and say, okay, you're on your own. Raise yourself. And uh, likewise, God being our loving Heavenly Father, he gave us a church to belong to so that we could be nurtured and grow and become spiritually grounded in Christ and, and, uh, and to a point where we can not only help ourselves but then begin to help other people. You need the church. You need the family of God. And I want to talk to you out of the book of Acts uh, this morning in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 37. This is really the beginning of the church right here. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, added to what? Peter preaches the gospel. He tells the story of Jesus. Now he's a savior of the world, and their response is, What do we got to do to be saved? And he tells them, and they repent. And uh, the Bible says that 3,000 souls were added. Added to what? Added to the church, right? Added to the group of people. When someone is born again into the family of God, they are born into that group and are added to the family of God. And it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. It didn't say on Sunday morning they devoted themselves to fellowship and the study of the word and prayer. No, it says they continually devoted themselves to that. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. That means they helped each other out. It wasn't, hey, that's your problem. I got my own stuff to deal with. No, it was like, if you've got a problem, that is all of our problem. If you've got a need, that is all of our need. We are here for each other. And they began selling property and even possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were eating together in their houses. Come on, church. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Once again, this is the beginning of the church as God begins to grow what the church really is. Now, if you think of the, all the people in the world today, 7, 8 billion people in the world, on every continent, all throughout the entire world, there are people that are the church, the family of God. They are the ones who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's not that they've chosen a certain religion over another. It's that they believe Jesus, as he said, is the way, the only one, the truth, the only one, the life, the only one, that all other roads don't lead anywhere, but Jesus is the one. 
They believe that. And there are people today in China and Africa and the Philippines, all over the world, who just like us, they believe in Jesus and they trust in his work that he made us part of the family of God. And that's what we have to remember today. And we really want to get across to you is what God's plan is for the church. The Bible calls the church several different things, and I want to go through them very quickly. One of them, he says that we are the bride of Christ. The bride represents union and and, and being united in Christ, one. The Bible says that when two people are married, that the two become one flesh. There's a union that goes on inside of their life. They become one. I told Kathy yesterday, I don't know who I'd be without you. We argue over who's going to die first sometimes. Is that weird? She's like, I'm going before you. I'm like, no, you are not. That is not how it works. The man goes first, and then the woman goes after that. And it's like, you know, it's all in God's hands. And, and, uh, but the truth is, I'm like, I wouldn't know who Mylon is without Kathy. We've been in together too long because we've been united together. When you're born again, you become united with Christ in an inseparable way that holds you with him. You are not saved and left off on your own. You are saved into union with Christ. The Bible also says that we are now the temple of God, that in the Old Testament, God would come down and his spirit would dwell physically inside of a temple. They would, they would uh, see the, the presence of God in different ways, in different forms. But now the Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells in Harold Cain, and he dwells in uh, 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 Beth and Larry and Sally, and he dwells inside of you and I. God lives in us. If you ever uh, get close to the Lord and begin to hear the Spirit inside of you, there'll be times when you pray for other people and God will say to you my spirit's in you you go help them come on you are the temple of the Holy Spirit God dwells in you so that he can move through your arms and your legs and your mouth and through us so that we can tell the story to the world God's plan for the church is that when you're saved you are part of a family you are not born as a lone ranger can I tell you a secret there are no lone ranger Christians well, I just like to be by myself, and I don't want to go to church, and I don't want people telling me what to do, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. Can I tell you something? You need church. We need you. That's true, too. But you need church. You need people who are looking out for you. You need accountability. Come on. You need people who will lift you up, and you need a positive environment. Sometimes you go to work, and it's all negativity all week long, and then you watch Netflix on the weekend, and I'm here to tell you that you need to be around God's people to lift you up and tell you good things and and remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? You are born into a family. Not only do you need the family, but the family needs you. You've got stuff to offer. You've got things that you can do to help the people around you. You are not only born into a family, but when you are saved, you are born as part of the body or the flesh of Christ. Now, I'm going to get technical for you in just a moment here. You remember that we as human beings are made up of spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the part of us that when you're saved is brought to life, and it is the parts that connected to God. Your spirit, when you're born again, is perfect. New creature in Christ, all things are new. But you also have a soul, which is the internal part of you that is like your personality and your emotions and all that, the stuff that people would relate to you about who you are on the inside. That relates to the world around you. Then, of course, you have a body. You're made up of spirit, soul, and body. And the spirit part of you is perfect. But the soul and flesh part of you isn't perfect yet because you don't always think right. And your body's not perfect, right? And so uh, we found out that 
the flesh part of us is a vessel for the spirit to flow through. In other words, God gets inside of you and he wants to bless the world. So now he has to move through your mind and through your body to bless the world. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. God didn't move into you because he got kicked out of the last house he was in. He moved into you so that he can move out of you and through you into the world around you. Amen. He wants you to bless the world through your life. And you are a part of the body of Christ. Now get this. When Christ walked the earth, his physical body was the vessel through which God's power flowed. But when he went to heaven, the Bible says now you are the temple of God. You are the body of Christ. This group of people right here are the vessel through which the Holy Spirit flows to this world to send his love his goodness his message his hope so when we leave here today we're going out in the world as the body of christ where his feet where his hands where his back where his mouth where his eyes where his ears doing what jesus did when he walked this earth have you got me today are you getting a sense that how it's not going to work for you to get saved and just go off on your own little world and be by yourself? Because that's not God's plan for you. You are born as a part of the body, a part of the family, a part of the temple, the bride of Christ. Before I close today and move on to let Derek step up here, I want to give you a good illustration about how you should think about church. You know, if you turn the football game on, which uh, football's over except for the XFL uh, and I don't know if you all watch that or not, but if you watch football at all, um, you realize there's a pattern that goes on when they get on the field. The offense huddles, and they've got a certain period of time to get in that huddle. And if you're not in the huddle, you don't know what's going on. I've never been in a professional huddle before, and I don't know what they're talking about. But they have conversations, and they develop plans, and they talk about what they're going to do. Now, wouldn't it be stupid if you watched a football game and all they ever did was come together and huddle? All they ever did was make plans and talk about what they were going to do. And then they stopped and they did another huddle. And then they waited for a while and they did another huddle. Can I tell you something? If you think of church as us coming together on Sunday morning so we can huddle and we can have a little fun, a little conversation, you've totally missed out on what church is about. Because what they do after they huddle is they actually perform a play. Come on. They actually do what they talked about doing. The church should be thought of as this way, as the gather and the go. We gather as God commanded us to do, but the gathering is for the purpose of being prepared to go out into the world. I don't know if you know this, but you're a missionary. The world you live in is your mission field. God puts you in your family. He puts you in your job. He puts you in your situation so that you could be a light in the dark world. So the next time you get in your job and you say, man, this place is a mess. I need to get out of here. You need to change your thinking and say, man, this is a mess. I need to shine. I need to be the one that brings some love and some hope and some peace and some light into this place. Amen. When you think about church as a mission, a place that we gather, we worship, we learn, we grow, we encourage each other, and then we get ready to go into our world and make an impact in the world. It turns your mind to where you stop thinking of yourself as a victim of your circumstances, but the master of them. In other words, the world shouldn't be happening to you. You should be happening to the world. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Derek, would you come? Beat that, brother. It's on. <laughs> oh, you see how pastor do me? <laughs> it's all good, though. <laughs> the reason we gather, that's, that's my topic. What's going on? That's my topic. Um,
the reason we gather. Um, I want to start by um, going to Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Um, Pastor talked about it already, but worship is something we do every day. It's not just something that we do on Sundays or whenever we decide to meet with one another. Um, Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just singing songs and praying every Sunday. The Bible says that when two or three gather in his name, that he is there. When we come to church and do all that we do, we are assured that his presence will be with us. Um, And in the same way, when we gather in our homes with our families and stuff like that, when we gather in his name, we can be assured that the presence of God will meet us there. Um, When we worship, we're opening our spirits to receive from God. So it's not just singing songs to be singing songs. We're singing songs of worship and adoration to God because it opens our spirits up to God to receive from him. Um, our praise and, and our, our, our prayers and stuff are testimonies to one another that God is alive. So when we come to church on Sundays and we're singing hallelujah, that is my testimony to you that I'm, I believe that God is real. When I clap my hands and in worship and adoration, my clapping is a testimony that God is real. We gather for God to show up, and he'll do that as we gather and sing and as we gather and pray, as we gather and share stories, as we gather and hear the word of the Lord. Um, so we gather to worship. We, we not only gather to worship, we gather to fellowship. Hebrews ten twenty three through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, we gather together to bear one another's burdens. Um, we, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another, that we should pray for one another, that we should break bread with one another, that we should sing with one another, that we should love one another, that we should do good, and that we should share life. Fellowship with one another is about having a community of believers who will have your back. Those who will pick you up when you're down, they'll laugh with you in good times, they'll cry with you in sad times, they'll mourn with you when you're going through. That's the fellowship of the church. They'll challenge you to do the right thing. They'll they'll pray with you until you get a breakthrough. Um, Sidebar, I I don't want a friend who's just going to let me go through life the way I'm going through life and don't step in when they see that something is wrong. When I'm going through something, I want you to step in and let me know, hey, brother, you're not going in the right direction. You should, should go this way. I want a friend who's going to put me before the throne of Jesus whenever I'm having a hard day or something like that. See, we don't just want any kind of friend. We want the fellowship. We want the gathering of the saints of Jesus Christ. Fellowship is about connecting. And in order to connect, you have to be vulnerable. Vulnerable. It's not just so people who can... Uh, it's not just for people to see that you're human, um, because we're all human. We, I know that you believe just as well as I believe. I know that you go through things just like I go through things. Um, but uh, when you're vulnerable, I'm able to see Christ in you. Um, we ought to get together so we can be vulnerable, so we can share life, so that people can see Christ in us. That if God did it for you, he'll what? He'll do it for me. Um, we're also called to, um, when we gather, we're called, it's for the purpose of equipping the church. 
Ephesians 4.11 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The reason we come to church is to be instructed, encouraged, and uplifted, to be taught the word of God, how to love, how to raise a family, how to pray, how to have godly relationships, how to grow in Christ, how to do, do things God's way. God says that his ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are better, they're superior than the ways of the world. You need the word of God to live. You need the word of God taught. You need the word of God preached. You need the, you need the prophets to prophesy over you. You need the evangelists to teach you how to go out and reach the world. You need that. Um, so that is the purpose for gathering. Um, excuse me. Um, I want to, to end my, my, my time um, by telling you a story about this woman who, who comes to church. Um, she does a lot of ministries, so a lot of times she misses service. But when she does come to service, oftentimes you can find her crying because she's so um, engaged with the service. She's receiving what God has given to her. Um, she watches sermons online and stuff like that, but when she comes to church and she's around other believers and stuff like that, you, there's more of a connection. I'm not saying that watching sermons online is bad. I'm not saying praying by yourself is bad. But what I am saying is that you need the church to pray. You need the church to be encouraged. You need the church to be instructed. You need the body of Christ to what? To worship, to fellowship, and to be equipped. Now, I've been instructed to speak to you guys on something called the go. So Derek talked to you guys about what it is that we gather for and why we do gather. So I want to talk to you guys about after gathering, what happens? What are we supposed to do Monday through Saturday? Because church only happens one day of the week. And I always tell people, if we only gather on Sundays, we all have to hope and pray that God comes back for us on a Sunday because we're not doing work Monday through Saturday. And that's the only way we're getting to heaven. So that's why we have an action after we come here. Because we are called to work and we are called to do throughout the week. So I want you guys to go to Luke 14, 23. I'll give you some time there. The word is, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I want to break this scripture down for you because I think this is really indicative of what God is trying to get us to do and be. The first part is it calls for us to go, which means we can't be cooped up in our walls here. There is no point in us sitting around waiting for sinners to arrive. You see, sinners aren't supposed to arrive at the church. The church is supposed to arrive at sinners, and that's how it works. So when you set up in these four walls and this is where your church exists and this is where your spirit exists, you're dead when you go out throughout the week. The reason you're supposed to carry it with you when you go is that when your spirit is alive, that's the only way you are truly alive. And I don't want to be dead six days out of the week. After that, the house that they're talking about, it says that my house may be filled. I want to make sure people don't misunderstand this. It's not so that these pews can be filled. The house that's being filled is actually the kingdom of heaven. 
So the house is a metaphor for the kingdom of heaven. He wants heaven to be filled. Heaven in its mass is something we don't understand, but God sends you a directive to try to fill it up. We think of it as something that is infinite, and it may be, but God is calling you to fill an infinite space by collecting people and providing them the love of Jesus Christ. The last part of this scripture that we're going to break down is it says, compel them. And I think that is a very, very carefully selected word. Something compelling is alluring. That's what you need to be. The Bible says we have to compel them, not condemn them. That's the secret to winning souls for Christ. When people feel condemned, they're not going to want to come where you go. Because you don't want to go where you're being condemned. I have children, and I posted a video yesterday that you can all see. When I get on to my children, they don't want to be around me for very long. Caden, the other day, he was jumping off the bed, and I told him, stop jumping on the bed. Well, I found him on the bed ten minutes later, and I walked in the room, and he turns his head, and he has nothing to do with me. He's going so far to tell me, I don't want to be around you. And sometimes we play the role of the parent to other sinners and other people, and that's not your job. You're supposed to provide the love for these people. You're supposed to have them enter Christ and then let Christ enter them, and that will be what changes them. Your condemnation of someone doesn't change them. It's your providing them with Christ that does. And the only way to do that is to be compelling. So now we have to ask ourselves, how are we supposed to be compelling? How am I supposed to compel someone? Some of us have that kind of thought process when we go to work or when we go to school. We have to try to understand what is it about me that makes me special. The first thing I need you guys to understand is it's not that you are compelling them. It's that the Christ in you is compelling them. So here are some things I want you to look at that will help you be more Christ-like. Starting with the first one, love them unconditionally. Love them. And I don't just mean say you love them. I mean really, truly love them. Throughout the year, Facebook will show you memories and other social media sites will show you memories. Take a look at that and ask yourself, does that sound like something that's loving? And if it doesn't, delete it and try again next year. Let's get this right. I see too much hatred on Facebook. We need to be a kind of people that sound like we love other people. We shouldn't have to explain, oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Forget about that. I actually do love you. Love should be what we portray first to people. And the only way to do that is to love them unconditionally. And a secret of unconditional love is we are all the benefactors of it. You see, Christ loved you so much that he died for you when you weren't worth it. And so for you to take the world and not love them is saying that you are worthy of Christ's love, but they aren't worthy of your love. And that's placed in your love at higher value than Christ. And that's why we got to temper ourselves. You see, Christ loved the world unconditionally. Now we have to do it. So you have to go out and really, truly love people. The second part is you have to accept them. They're going to fail you. They're going to fail the church. They're going to fail themselves. That's okay. That's the point. You see, where we fail, Christ succeeds. And Christ can't shine if you're busy trying to shine for him. Sometimes you got to be dark so Christ can show up. The best times of testimony in my life is where my understanding, the best parts of Joe stop and something better happens. Something goes beyond my understanding. Something goes beyond my qualification. 
something goes beyond my talent level. My wife will tell you, I'm a confident person. And I don't, I hope they didn't pick that up on the camera. Um, <laughs> she will tell you, but the truth is, I have such confidence in myself because I know I'm just going to keep stepping. And if ever I fall, God is going to take where I, fell, where I fell and he's going to move me forward. I've fallen a lot. I've gotten to a lot of places in my life by tripping and rolling to the next level. I want you guys to understand, we've got to let people come to church, come into our lives, and let them fail us. That's okay. So we have to move on to the next thing. You've got to live a joyous life in front of them. How are people supposed to want to come to church if they think you're the church person and you walk around going, well, oh my God, you know, God is good. It doesn't sound very good. You have to be happy. And there's a secret to this. You should be. God calls you to be happy. He wants you to have a smile on your face. I'm not saying you can't go through something, but the secret to that phrase is when people say, I'm going through something, that phrase is indicative that you are going to move past it. You don't go through something and stop at it. If I walk through this barricade, I'm past it. So at some point in time in a Christian life, you've got to get past the struggle. You've got to get past the sorrow. You've got to get past the hurt. And sometimes in a Christian life, the problem that you're having won't stop, but it will stop problem. it'll stop being problematic to you. So you've got to be above your own problems. And you've got to smile in front of people. Let's see a smile. Everybody smile for me. All right. Some people smiled. Some people didn't. That's okay. Some people have really big smiles. Some people have really small smiles. I don't smile a lot in photos. If you look through Facebook, you're not going to see too many smiles, maybe a couple of smirks. Uh, I'm not a smiler myself, so I've got to practice this. So I want you guys to know this is difficult for me too. The easy one is we've got to pray for them. And I mean really, truly pray for them. Don't pray for their hearts to change. Don't pray for their lives to change. Don't pray for them to come to church. Do all of the above and a little bit more. You've got to pray that their dreams will be fulfilled. You've got to pray that their spirit will be renewed. And you've got to pray that while they're out in the world, they don't make so many mistakes that they get too far down for themselves. We need to pray confidence into the world, not just into Christians. So we've got to be praying for them. Here's a difficult one. We've got to admit our own faults. There are a lot of people who don't want to come to church because another church failed them. And we can't pretend like that doesn't happen. And we can't pretend like we are sin-free. People want to be around church because they understand it's like-minded people. Derek and Pastor said it's a community of people. And we are all a community of people who, who are not perfect. The secret that people need to understand is that Christianity isn't about me being perfect. It's that I know somebody who is, and I believe in him. That's the end of it. So go out into the world and tell them, it's okay. I know that you're struggling with addiction. I know you're struggling in your marriage. I know you're struggling with X, Y, Z, whatever it is, but I'm struggling too. I'm struggling too because the reason you are struggling is because there's something in your spirit that wants you to cry out to God so bad that it's trying to break you down. And God is asking you to come to me. If you can show people that while you struggle, you choose God, they'll start doing that too. And that's when you'll really see them change. You've got to show them that being a Christian isn't being perfect. 
I touched on that just a second ago, but you really got to touch on that. Don't try to suit and tie yourself up when you get around them. Be you. God called you to be you. He made you you for a reason. I don't preach in a suit and tie because I don't have the time to get ready for a suit and tie in the morning because I don't wake up early enough for that. And that's okay because I will reach people that won't reach people from a suit and tie. There are people who will not accept a suit and tie minister. There are some people who won't accept a minister. There are some people who won't accept prayer, but they'll accept a kind word from me because you work with them and because they know you. And you put your spin on faith. That's okay. If you read the Bible, there are stories that are told from perspectives of people. The whole Bible is not written by Christ and God. It's written by people. And the purpose for that is that their perspective changed our life. So your perspective is going to change someone's life. Put your spin on this. Put your touch on it. If you pray and you say amen and you put your hands up in the air, that's fine. I pray like this sometimes. Hey, oh God, what's up? Um, I know you know the need, but I'm, I'm a little low on the cash flow right now, so I need your help. Like, I talk to God like he's a friend sometimes, and I need you guys to understand. Just be you in front of people a lot. And you need to share the life and death of Christ with them. That is the most important thing. Don't touch on what scripture you think needs to fix their sin or needs to fix their attitude. You don't need to adjust anything for them. You just need to tell them this. Hey, I know a guy. He lived a perfect life, and then he died. And your sin died with him. But he rose from the grave again because he's coming back someday. And if you want to meet that guy, all you got to do is accept him. And try your best to be like him. No, I didn't say you have to be like him. You just got to try your best to be like him. And if you tell people something like that, that's alluring to people. But if you tell them, hey, I know a guy, and if you live a perfect life, you can be like him. And if you get your life together, you'll be fine. And you can meet him one day if you stop popping tabs and going to the club. That's not going to be alluring. The Bible says be compelling, so tell them the truth. There is nothing more compelling than I know a guy who lived a perfect life for you, so it's okay that you failed. You're still going to get the value of a perfect life. That's awesome. If your boss came down and said, hey, man, um, you guys have been working on a team, and one of you has done such a great job, you're all getting raises. Everybody in this room would cheer, and I would ask for testimony, and it would last four hours because we'd all be talking about how great our raises were. That is something that's happening. Christ lived a perfect life. We're all a team in Christ. And he did such a good job that we're all getting a raise. But the raise is everlasting life. And in close.